Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, Well, we've been over the last few weeks and for a few weeks more kind of studying and learning from Paul's letters to Timothy uh, that were really sent by Paul uh, in order to correct uh, some, some poor teaching that was going on in the church of Ephesus. Uh, so Timothy was a protege, companion, ministry companion of Paul. Paul sent him to the church in Ephesus to correct some weird teaching that was going on there. And so we're kind of doing the best that we can to dive into this world uh, and learn not only what is, uh, what is Timothy trying to address and fix in that particular context, but also what can we learn uh, from this, these important letters too. And so we've learned, uh, we've heard Paul commission Timothy for his work uh, by setting himself up as an example of the possibilities of grace. So we began just by talking about the, the expansiveness of God's grace. We've heard Paul encourage Timothy to pray for national leaders, uh, but while doing so to make sure that uh, his hope is firmly in Christ who is Lord over all of creation and the mediator between man and God. Uh, We've learned that Paul had some pretty scathing instructions for some of the women in the Ephesian church, uh, but that we shouldn't take those things to be principles for all women in all churches for all time. And the last week we were reminded of the goodness of creation, that God has instilled creation with beauty and goodness that is meant to be enjoyed and received with gratitude. And so we ended last week's service by uh, encouraging you to Uh, take a few moments, maybe at the end of the day, to reflect on the goodness of God, the gifts that you've received, and I hope that many of you had a chance to do that, Uh, and just take a moment uh, to slow down and soak in uh, the goodness of life, that even in the midst of of difficulty and challenge and struggle, uh, life is filled with many good gifts, amen? So I hope you had a chance to do that today, or this week. Uh, So what I want to do is I want to look at the last chapter of 1 Timothy, look at the bulk of the chapter. We'll kind of begin in verse 6. We'll end just before the chapter. Uh, And I want to read it in two sections. First, kind of 6 through 17, or 6 through 16, then later on in the message we'll pick up the last uh, couple verses through 19. Uh, So you can follow along with me, or it will also be up on the screen as well. Uh, But let's begin 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, reading through 17. It says this, Uh, Teach and urge these duties, for whoever teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that is in accordance with godliness is conceited, understanding nothing, and has a morbid craving for controversy and for disputes about words. From these come envy, dissension, slander, base suspicions, and wrangling among those who are depraved in mind and bereft of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we were brought into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, then we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains." Verse 11, but as for you, man of God, shun all of this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life which, to which you were called and for which you were made, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and is only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now you'll remember from the work that we've done so far that part of the task of understanding Paul's letters in particular, but the New Testament also in general, is that we have to kind of reverse engineer the context. So we have to take contextual clues and kind of begin to get a sense of what is this world and what is going on in this world. It'd be very similar that if you were, uh, we talked about this in week one, but if you were to discover uh, maybe some uh, love letters between grandma and grandpa during the world wars and you kind of can pick up on clues about their relationship that maybe you never had uh, just based on the letters. And we're kind of doing the same work here is we're trying to pick up what is actually going on and what are some of the issues uh, that Timothy is facing and that Paul is trying to correct. And it appears that some of the teachers, you'll remember from last week, these are the teachers that are saying marriage is bad and you shouldn't, eat, you shouldn't eat certain foods. They were trying to become rich off of their teaching uh, by exploiting people's hunger for the truth. Uh, this is found uh, in verse 12, or sorry, verse 5, when Paul says, verse not 12 or 5. Neither, it's neither one of those. But so... It says somewhere in the scriptures uh, that Paul gives this kind of sharp critique and he's saying that they're trying to gain godliness as a means of great gain. Uh, And so we kind of get a sense that something is going on where these these teachers that Paul is trying to correct is is actually saying that they're trying to become rich. They're trying to make money off of this. Uh, And and they're exploiting kind of those people's hunger for the truth. And so Paul gives a sharp critique of these teachers Uh, who seem to be more interested in maybe stirring up controversy uh, than anything else, right? Maybe they're not so concerned about uh, sharing God's truth as much as they are in stirring the pot and making a buck along the way. Uh, And while we may, while, uh, you know, kind of up front, upon hearing this, we might say, oh, that's awful. How uh, How could they be doing that? But then put yourself in Timothy's shoes, And you see someone, uh, when you put yourself in Timothy's shoes, you might understand why Paul is so emphatic about this point. Uh, If if Timothy were to look and see others making a bunch of cash off of their teaching uh, that he considers maybe misled, wouldn't he be as equally tempted to cash in on his set of teaching, which then he feels is actually correct, right? So, So wouldn't it be... I mean, you can kind of sense that maybe Timothy would be tempted to do the same thing. So Paul kind of lives here a little bit and says, here are some things about money that you need to kind of understand. Uh, After all, few things, there are few motivators that are as powerful as money, right? Few things in the world are such a powerful motivator as money. In fact, the Western world has elevated wealth to the greatest good. Right? We've kind of come to understand wealth as one of, if not the greatest good in, in kind of Western culture. Uh, and so many of us are utterly captured by the pursuit of more riches. Uh, and so as a culture, we've come up with more and more ways to kind of gain money. Uh, we're willing to monetize anything, and we have become expert consumers, right? Uh, the, kind of the, the mark of how we're doing as a culture is how much are we buying, 
right? This is actually how we measure how we're doing. How much are we buying? How, much, how good are we at being consumers? Um, and so we've kind of monetized everything. Here's a silly example of this. If, if you were to sit and watch a sports event, uh, at every break in the action, there is a commercial uh, that promises a better life if you will simply buy their product, right? Uh, that every single commercial during TV, sporting event, doesn't matter, so many commercials that we see are, are really bent toward have this product, participate in this service, your life will be easier, more convenient, uh, you'll be skinnier. Uh, I, I kid you not, yesterday, yesterday, I purchased a pillow. Like, I know that's like pretty vulnerable, okay? But I purchased a new pillow, and on the packaging of the pillow, it said, this pillow will not only give you better rest, it will give you improved strength, more energy, and better stamina. And I was like, it doesn't even matter how much this pillow costs, right? I mean, it's like, how many promises can one pillow make, right? It's just like, so commercials and all these things, your life will be so much better. Uh, so here, so we, we're kind of, we get used to commercials, but here's what's happening now in sporting events. Now, commentators must name a sponsor for all the different parts of the game. So I don't watch a lot of sports, but the one sports I do watch is Royals baseball. Okay, so for Royals fans, here is just like the regular sponsorships happening during the game, during the action, not commercials. Okay, so you have, um, you have the Chevy call to the bullpen. Okay, so anytime a pitcher changes, it's sponsored by Chevy. Okay, you have the Jeep drive of the game. That is, at the end of the kind of tour, in the later innings, they'll look back at a key hit uh, by a key player, and th this key hit is sponsored by Jeep, the Jeep drive of the game. Uh, then you have, when they're kind of going over the league and who's injured, it's the University of Kansas injured list, okay? And then, and then, um, this is the real thing, uh, and then, and then every, the sixth inning of every Royals game is sponsored by Sonic, and it's the Sonic Slam inning, in which if the Royals hit a home run out of the park, then you, then, then like some person that signed up to be in the contest wins money. And if they hit a grand slam out of the park, then Sonic and the Royals will pay this winner $25,000, okay? So the entire sixth inning is sponsored by Sonic, okay? So you have all of these things that are not even by commercials. And I don't watch football, but I would imagine, I would bet that it's exactly the same in football as well. Everything in baseball is sponsored because each of the mentions, each of the mentions, the Jeep drive of the game, the Chevy call to the bullpen, all that stuff, brings money to the ball, brings revenue to the ball club, and it trains. <laughs> Lord protect us from the winds. Uh, and it, it brings, it, it trains fans to be a consumer. So it brings revenue to the ball club, and it trains uh, fans to be a consumer. And so uh, if you want to be a good consumer of more and more goods and more services, then you have to make more and more money. And so what is kind of true in the corporate life, like ball clubs trying to sponsor everything, bring up the revenue, is also certainly true in our, of us, our personal lives. That if anyone asks you why you did something, why did you make that move, why did you make that switch, and the answer is because it makes me more money or it gets me into a bigger house or whatever, the conversation is over because everyone recognizes that as a legitimate idea, right? There's no questions asked. But here's the thing. This is great. What's more is the pursuit that, that, that so many of us are caught up in is in the name of contentment, <laughs> right? 
That, that somehow we have come to believe that if we just had a little more money so we could buy that thing, then all of a sudden we would finally be content. Okay? I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I will raise mine. Okay? Certainly I have believed this. Certainly I have, I have said, man, if I just had a little bit more money so, so that I could buy that thing, then my life would be great. Then I would be content. Then I'd be able to relax. Then, 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 then. Uh, if and then, right? And so often it's attached to this idea of wealth and, and riches. And so in the, in the Ephesian church, you have teachers who believe that their godliness or their teaching related to godliness is going to lead to great gain. And Paul instantly wants to, to speak into Timothy, who may be tempted to do the same thing only with his version of teaching, right? Because there's no more powerful motivator than money. And, and, and Paul says, in fact, godliness is a means of great gain when combined with contentment. <laughs> so you see that really this, this world is so far removed from our own and yet so very similar to our own. That maybe there was a sense, even in the ancient world, of getting more and more and more all in the name of contentment. Right? And Paul is saying, if you, if you combine godliness with an, with an already contented heart, then you've got something powerful. Then you have great gain. Right? In other words, the gain that you receive from godliness actually has nothing to do with money. The gain that you receive from godliness actually has nothing to do with money. In fact, he says... if. If you love money, it's going to cause you to fall into all kinds of evils. Now, a lot of people hear this, and uh, they think that then Paul is, is saying wealth is bad, right? That if you have any riches at all, then it's bad. And a lot of people hear that. And I think it's important to clarify here that Paul is not condemning wealth. He is condemning a posture toward wealth. He's not condemning money or the accumulation of money. He's condemning a, a posture of the heart right? So he's saying the love of money can lead us into all kinds of evils. And that's a really important distinction, right? Because how many of you know, and I won't ask her again like for a raise of hand, rhetorically speaking, how many of you know some really great Christians who have some financial resource and who practice radical generosity? I do, right? And it's a blessing to the world, right? So Paul is not saying if you are going to follow Christ, you need to, uh, to live uh, like this... Um, like live in poverty, right? But he is, he is saying there's this, this posture of the heart that's really, really important, uh, that's really important. And so he encourages Timothy, instead of like getting caught in just this, this cycle, this pursuit of more and more and more and more, he says if you're going to pursue things, I encourage you to pursue things like faith, love, gentleness, and then take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And that is in verse 12. <laughs> take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Now here's, here's an important thing. Eternal life is not just quantity of time or of life. But eternal life in the scriptures often is pointing us to a certain quality of life. Okay? When we see your eternal life, we tend to think only in terms of quantity. I'm just going to live forever and ever and ever and ever, and our minds can't really wrap, wrap around that quite. But we, but we say, hey, oh, this is good, this is, this is a good thing, and I, I have my hope in that. But think about it. Even if, even if we understand eternity as purely a quantity of time, that means your eternal life is happening right now. Right? 
And so when, when the scriptures talk about eternal life, it's not just something that's delegated completely to the future, but rather it's talking, it's inviting us into a kind of life right now. And so Paul's invitation to Timothy is to pursue things like love and gentleness and faith and take hold of this quality uh, of life, this posture of life that is available to us right now, and let's use a term for that, let's call it eternal life, okay? And so eternal life is not just a quantity of time, but the quality of life. And if eternity is all of time, then eternity is happening right now, and Paul's encouragement is to enter into that life. Okay? Now, this is made even more clear in the closing sections of this. And, and so here, let's read verses 17 through 19. It says this. So as for those who are uh, in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So calling back again this idea that things, the creation is made to be enjoyed and to be received with thankfulness. For they are, uh, they are doing good to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. So he's setting up this foundation for the future. So yes, this kind of sense of eternal life has implications for the future, but it's not just delegated to the future. What we want to do now is set ourselves up for the future, okay, so that they may take hold of life, listen to this, life that is really life. Life that really is life, right? So he's pointing us more to kind of this quality rather than this quantity. And so what he's essentially saying is that we enter into eternal life by being generous, ready to share, and rich in good works. For this is what it looks like to take hold of life. And I, and I just think, man, like for me, it is such an important message to recognize that my life is not found in the accumulation of things. And I don't know why, but, but for whatever reason, maybe it's my personality, what, whatever it is, I just feel so prone to this. So often, of just like, just believing that if I just had more stuff, that somehow I'd be more secure, I'd be happier, all this kind of stuff. And I have stuffitis, you know? <laughs> and I gotta be cured of it. And, and so this is just a really good reminder for me and he's essentially saying that having such a narrow focus on the accumulation of money or of things actually has the potential to rob you of true life. I mean, you can kind of keep on living, you can keep on breathing, uh, but man, if you're just so focused on the accumulation of stuff, the accumulation of money, then there's a good chance that your life is gonna be sucked out of you rather than the life of the Spirit being lived in you. And then, then he says this explicitly, right? The love of money will lead to all kinds of evil. When you take this all together, it's, it's really an encouragement to invest our resources in, in the proclamation of the good news. Like invest our resources in the kingdom of God and the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And while we're quick to accept that Jesus wants us to give our resources of time and ability, Paul wants to make sure that our money is included in that equation, right? That as we're kind of making investments, as we're planting seeds, let's also remember kind of the financial means that God has given to us and make sure that at least a portion of those are being used to invest in the kingdom of God and the proclamation of the good news. And in, in other words, it's kind of like this. It's like the way to live with contentment is to do things that lead to life, 
Because if you're anything like me, there's, there's seasons of my life where contentment just feels a little bit out of reach, right? Like contentment is kind of like always just, just outside of my reach. And so there's, there's kind of this underlying kind of way of contentment, which is do the things that lead to life, and that will bring you to a place of contentment, right? So Paul's not just saying, hey, be content, get over it, do it, you know? But he's actually saying, here's the things that you need to focus on. Here are the things to pursue that will likely lead you into a posture of heart that is content. Things like investment in the kingdom, generosity, sharing, doing good for others. And so part of that equation, uh, and I just want to speak openly and honestly, part of that equation, I think, is to support the work of a church that you really believe in. I hope it's this church, right? But, but just being involved in a church that you really believe in. Uh, the church is not just an organization, but a, gathering, a gathered community of the people of God. And this new community that God is building is a key part of God's plan to bring about new creation. Do you believe that about the church? <laughs> the church is not just kind of this organization, but it's this, this community of people that God is gathering to himself that are a key part of God's plan to bring about new creation. So, which is why anytime a church is just solely centered and focused on kind of our life together and what are we doing and let's do this and let's be better and da-da-da-da-da, there's room and there's space for that, like for, for the pursuit of excellence in what we do. But anytime a church is just purely inward focused, they've lost sense, the sight of kind of what we're supposed to be doing because we're a key part of God's plan to bring about new creation, Right? That as we kind of come in together, we are encouraged, we are lifted up, we are empowered, and then we are sent out, right? We are sent out as a way of saying, wherever the people of God show up, the kingdom of God shows up as well. Man, I, man wouldn't that be amazing if that were true? <laughs> what if we lived like that were true? What if we took that seriously, that when we go about our to our workplaces and our neighborhoods, that the, the little seeds of the kingdom are, are being planted and are, and are growing and are showing up, right? That's the key plan. And so, but in order to come together and be, and be encouraged there's, and, and have cupolas that don't fall down, there's kind of some financial resources that need to be made, right? And so a, a key part of that is to support the work of a church that you love and that you believe in. Now, the Old Testament law states that 10% is to be given. It's called a tithe. But the New Testament consistently moves us toward radical generosity, okay? Radical generosity in support of the kingdom of ministry and in support of others. And so one kind of key piece, one piece of this puzzle is, is this investment in the local community, right? But then the generous, eternal quality of life that Paul mentions here isn't fulfilled by just writing a check to the church. <laughs> you hear that too? That he calls us to sharing, to doing good for others, and to other forms of generosity. And the list of possibilities is a thousand miles long. But just broadly speaking, what if it was advocating for those who are oppressed? What if it was showing kindness to populations that are dehumanized? Like if we do that, then the kingdom of God shows up where we're at. Um, or So it could kind of be like these broad level things that can play out in a thousand ways. It could be really tangible things, providing transportation for people who don't have it. 
uh, kind of doing good, working for the good of the people around us. And, and I have to say that, number one, I'm proud to be part of a church that I think does a great job on both of these fronts. Not only are you consistently generous to, to the regular operation of the church, right? Like, as a small church, we're able to carry staff, which is phenomenal. And that those, those folks are able to come, we're able to take care of our staff. You guys take good care of me. And I'm so thankful for that. And so we, we are, you know, we do well financially. And we can always kind of have ideas for, for if more resources were to come, we always have ideas of what we can invest in, right? But you guys are consistently generous, and for that I thank you. And if you're not participating in the financial life of the church, I encourage you to consider that and prayerfully consider that. But the other part is, I am so thankful to be part of a church where a huge percentage of the time, the announcements that we share are about ways in which we're seeking to love our community. And yeah, we do things, you know, that, that are kind of for us and to help build relationships among our people and, and those kinds of things. But more often than not, when the announcements come, it's Renee's Hope. It's Parkwood Game Night. It's FFH. It's this offering. It's, it, it's so much of what we do is centered on loving our community, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful to be part of a church that takes that seriously and recognizes that we are, get to be these expressions of the kingdom of God in the world. Uh, so, so can I say, uh, it feels a little more intimate from the floor, doesn't it? Some of you are like, I am seriously in the spit zone right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but let me, like, if, let me just say a heartfelt thank you for all the ways in which you love and support uh, me as your pastor and all the ways that you express the kingdom of God in the world. I'm so thankful for that. And so may we all move toward greater generosity as a way of participating in God's new creation and the eternal life that is made available to us here and now. Recognizing that generosity isn't just about the checkbook, but there are so many other ways of expressing generosity in the world. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, let's pray, and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table for communion. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, your presence, not just in the world generally, but in our lives specifically. Uh, that for each one of us, God, we... Um, can tune our senses and feel your presence. Sometimes greater uh, than other times, certainly, but God, we're thankful that we serve a God who is not aloof uh, to our condition or to what's going on in our lives or to the details of our lives, but God, you are intimately familiar and present with us, and we give you thanks. And God, I pray that today as we've been challenged by the words of Paul to Timothy, that we may take these words to heart about generosity, about in our own culture, just such a timely word of, because we tend to get so caught in, in pursuit of things and of money and of wealth. And God, may our pursuits be of righteousness, and faith and love and gentleness and grace and mercy and kindness. 
And God, may we pursue those things um, with fervor and passion that we may take hold of the eternal life which is available to us here and now. And so God be with us, speak to us as we gather around the Lord's table. May we come with thanksgiving for all that you've done, but may we also come with open hearts, ready to receive uh, the word that you would want to offer to us, specifically uh, each person, how you would want us to kind of internalize this message, Lord. So may we come forward uh, to the Lord's table with openness and responsiveness to you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.